Hello, and welcome to State of Crime. One state, two murders, lots of crime. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you, hon? I'm good. I'm good. excited about this week. About New Mexico? Yes. I am too. And so I don't have the personal connection that you do, but when I was growing up, we actually lived in a little small town in Colorado for five years that wasn't too far from the New Mexico border. And so I am kind of excited just from the proximity of this. So my case is the mysterious and tragic tale of Paula Angel. And as I talked about during my last episode, last Tuesday, you know, one of the things I said was that we had both kind of said we were going to focus more on the victim than the murderer, and we've been focusing more on the murderer. So I think once we start like doing our research, and as sad as it is, like these victims do deserve every bit of respect, yes, in love, in attention, but the perpetrator is just more of an interesting story well it's where the drama comes you know what I mean and the messed up and the I think that's where we don't understand yes and I think that's what makes it so much more interesting is that like we don't right our we don't can't comprehend how another human can be like this yes you know so so this case had some carryover with the case I did for South Carolina the Lavinia Fisher story where it was kind of frustrating because there's not a lot of documentation and in fact, I would say a good chunk of the research I did dealt with the attempt to make sure that this actually was a real case and not one of the, not part of the whole folklore of the La Llorona. So there's, in, in this area and throughout Mexico, there, there's a recurring folktale, urban legend of La Llorona. And the story of the tale always deals with a woman who is involved with a man. Usually he's married to somebody else. She has children with him. He does her wrong. In the La Llorona cases, she murders her children and then is forever doomed to wander the earth weeping. She's always wearing a white dress. And she's always used as a way to warn children to stay away from bodies of water. Because if you go near a body of water after dark, La Llorona will get you and drown you. And so she serves a purpose because you can, you know, it makes sense. You don't want your kids going near a river or, you know, we live in Idaho where, unfortunately, children sometimes drown in irrigation ditches. Yeah. So water is a danger. Yeah. And so it makes sense that you would have this sort of a folktale that evolves. So... Paula Angel has some things in common with these, not the child murder, but we'll talk about that (laughs) just a little bit more. But there's definitely the limits of history here and when you're dealing with a lack of proper documentation that can be very frustrating. And this case is full of that. There's a lot of holes, a lot of things we don't know. To begin with, her name. So she's often referred to as Paula Angel. But in some sources, she's called Pablita Martin, which makes me, which hints that possibly she was married to the man that she's accused of murdering. Maybe not, because his name was, his name was also Martin. So we don't know her age. Some sources, she's 19. Sometimes she's 26 or 27. She's always pretty young. And 
when I first came across her, she was touted as being the only woman ever hanged in New Mexico. Huh. That, too, isn't quite as simple as it sounds. So you're dealing here with a little bit of semantics. She was executed on the 26th of April, 1861. And there was actually a lot, too, that I read about the fact that, of course, 1861, April, Civil War has just started, that the newspapers were so busy talking about that that her case got no attention, as it probably would have in quieter times. And so I thought that was an interesting take on it as well. So she's executed, like I said, 26th of April, 1861. New Mexico is still legally a territory at this time, not a state. It doesn't become a state till 1912. So New Mexico is a territory from 1846 to 1912. And that's where the semantics come in, because we do know that way back on the 26th of January in 1779, two women were hanged in Santa Fe. They were a mother and a daughter, and they had been convicted of murdering the mother's husband. So they were hanged. However, at that time, New Mexico was in a territory. And in fact, I would I believe in 1779, it's still considered a part of Mexico, at the very least a Spanish territory. Okay. So I think that's maybe why their cases don't, you know what I mean, get yeah. brought into this. And that was Robert Torres who reported on that. He has a great article about this case that was very interesting. Another writer named Jen Shapland also had a lot of great information that I used. And she pointed out that so this execution takes place in 1861 about a year later in 1862 even though New Mexico is just a territory and it's pretty far out west it is directly affected by the Civil War because some Confederate forces actually took over the city of Santa Fe and they did lynch a lot at least hundreds of people among them women. Yeah. And many of them, of course, would have been mostly women of color. But again, as horrific as that is, that's not a legal sentence of execution. Yes. So in the strictest definition of New Mexico is a recognized U.S. territory <laughs> and a legal decree of execution, Paula Angel is the only woman that's ever been dealt with this way um so we can say that we don't know a whole lot even about her crime there again were conflicting reports the best source about it seems to come from 1961 so a hundred years after this happens there was an article that was published talking about her case and that article spurred historians to then go and see what documentation they could find. And there wasn't a lot. However, the little bit that does exist actually holds up pretty well for a case that was mostly spread by word of mouth and the oral tradition. So we know that she was involved with a man named Juan Miguel Martin or Martin. Um, like I said, was she married to him? I don't know. In, like I said, in some sources, she has his last name, which makes you think possibly 
some sources say they weren't married, that he was in fact married to somebody else. So as is often the case, either he tried to end their affair, possibly he was abusive. Both of these things were mentioned in her court trial. Maybe a combination of the two. What's a little bit unusual about her case, though, is that, you know, courts, not that they're super forgiving or anything, but there's always, I think, been this room for a crime of passion. Mm -hmm. And so we usually have, you know, second degree murder for those sorts of things. What's a little bit unusual about Paula Angel's case is she was actually convicted of first degree murder. And because that was her crime, then the judge in her case, the only sentence he could give her was to be hanged. Was to be hanged well, until the death. whole thing with the crime of passion and that being turned into a second degree murder to me is weird because I still think that if it was premeditated, it needs to be a first degree murder charge. Mm-hmm. Whether it was a crime of passion or not, if it was, if there was any sort of premeditation in that, why are you letting them off a little easier because it was a crime of passion? Well, and here's where maybe the first degree murder isn't quite so off the rails. So again, one of the sources says that she did in fact arrange a meeting with him, asked him to meet her somewhere, that they embraced, and then she stabbed him. Oh yeah, she pre- <laughs> she thought that through. <laughs> I knew you'd feel that way. That's why I wanted to make sure I brought that part up. So. One of the people, one of the, the, this article in 1961, one of the people even said, you know, that's a tale as old as time. You know, it's a tale as old as Eden that, you know, spurned lover, kills the lover, whatever. Where this story gets especially tragic, though, is her execution. And this is what kind of takes it out of the realm of the cliche and every Lifetime movie (laughs) that you've ever seen (laughs) and all those expectations. I do love me a good Lifetime movie, (laughs) let's be honest. Who doesn't? Anyway, we're going to go personal, go off the rails here for just a second. When I was a little kid, my mom had a record album by Marty Robbins called, I think it was like Tales of the Gunfighter. Okay, you can laugh. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) And it was all these old gunfighter ballads. And I still, to this day, have almost every single one of them memorized. So, (laughs) nerd factor here. But one of the songs on that that I've never forgotten is a song called Cottonwood Tree. And it's about a guy sitting in a jail cell, singing to a cottonwood tree upon which he's about to be hanged. And saying, you know, even though he's done no wrong, he's going to be hanged. This has a lot to do with Paula Angels. Because instead of building or having any sort of gallows, they just load her up in the back of a wagon and take her out to this huge old cottonwood tree outside of Las Vegas, New Mexico, which is where she was convicted. And there's an old folk ballad from that same year that apparently was written by her cousin that commemorates her crime and death and also talks about the cottonwood tree, as well as other things that seem to be true so they take her there now the judge in her case had been appointed by Abraham Lincoln and he was a man named Kirby Benedict he was well known to be an infamous drunk and in fact not too long after her case um, a bunch of the local citizens tried to get him off the bench Lincoln replied that drunk or not 
he knew more about the law than like everybody else in the whole territory and refused to to remove him from his office. I kind of wonder if the sheriff in charge of her case, Antonio Abad Herrera, might also have been slightly impaired just a little bit. So I feel like in my mind in this time, everyone was always drunk. Well, you know, that's another good point is that people drank a lot more back then. Yeah. Because you couldn't, water wasn't always clean, so people did rely more on beer and wine and so in my yeah in my mind and it might be all of the movies and stuff like this that i watch <laughs> but in my mind in this like time period everyone's always drunk okay so so we're gonna go with that okay <laughs> so Herrera is drunk we don't know we're gonna just say he's drunk first of all he was incredibly cruel and she was in jail for about a month after her trial so once again you know just to please you <laughs> we don't have this super long death row sentence yeah but he would apparently come in every day and say to her either i'm going to hang you until you're dead 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 or he would give her a you know a countdown you've got 29 days to live you've got 28 days to live and again this i feel like that's a little fucked up well i excuse my language yeah it's but there's a level of cruelty to that that does make you wonder about this dude yeah so like i said and, and it also makes me wonder about what's about to happen next what we hear so apparently they stand her on the back of this wagon they throw the noose up over the branch put the noose around her neck and then he whips the horses to you know drive the wagon out from underneath her feet Mm -hmm. he looks behind him as he's doing this and realizes that he forgot to tie her arms or hands and that's what i said i'm like you know what I mean? Is he just... Because there's a certain level of sadism in what he's been doing to her for the past month. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Was He's, is, like, mentally torturing her. I like, want, you're going to die in 27 days. I wonder. But anyway, so she manages to hold... Grab a hold of the rope. And she's holding it so that she's not... You know, so it can't, it can't kill her. Yeah. He <laughs> runs back to her wraps his arms around her waist and tries to yank her down so that the noose can do its job. The crowd is not having this. They're not happy. Good. And, you know, you can see that, yeah, this would be an awful thing to watch. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I I just can't imagine the horror of this. And so apparently the crowd rushes forward, gets him off of her, and cuts her down. And they immediately begin saying, look, she's been hanged. She survived. Sentence is carried out. Let her go. I mean, cool. Yeah. And so there was at least a fair amount of sympathy for her. Um, And this jerk named Colonel J.D. Sena of Santa Fe steps forward and ruins the whole thing. Of course he does. Yes. So he starts reading from her warrant of of execution and keeps emphasizing that it says on there that she is to be hanged by the neck until dead. So, the crowd backs off. They put her back on the wagon. Which, if they were that gung-ho on killing her, that's what they should have done in the first place, not him trying to pull her to her death. I know. I mean, I, when you, you know, we talk about cruel and unusual punishment, this is... I, this is definitely a violation of that constitutional yeah. amendment. So, but her hands are tied. 
they perform the whole thing again and this time in fact she does die so you know like I said and that's the end of this story so um, like I said but one of the things that just again bothered me about this and and some of the things that were brought up is that it definitely just show some of the changes in our legal system mm-hmm. so she you know she had um, there was no such thing back then when she was sentenced to death you didn't have the automatic appeals although her lawyer did try to appeal her case but he was shut down and I think there's probably some interesting research that could be done on this her judge as we said was appointed by Abraham Lincoln the lawyer who defended her had very strong Confederate sympathies and I wonder if there wasn't something maybe possibly going on there that I think was very interesting Um, the other thing that I thought was worth saying here is one of the authors Jen Chaplin pointed out she wasn't in fact tried by a jury of her peers because there were no women on her jury there were only men which again was completely usual at the time but I thought this tidbit was interesting women in New Mexico could not even sit on a jury until 1951 that's weird so yeah I was I was amazed by that and um, because you know women get the right to vote in 1920 and it's 31 more years in New Mexico before they can sit on a jury and I'm sure in other states it's the same thing yeah that's crazy also we're gonna sidetrack for a second on jury duty why do people complain about it so much why in the world do people complain about getting a jury duty notice in the mail i got it i've only gotten it once and it was like it was so exciting first of all if you are scheduled to work that day you get a paid day out of work let's Mm -hmm. be honest Mm -hmm. two you get to sit in a what i wouldn't do for some of the things that have happened in the like past present or even future to be on some of these juries yes i would want nothing more in life <laughs> but to be able to sit on that jury on the other hand i think the reason people do often complain is first of all there's the job issue you don't you know cuz for a lot of people i mean in the united states i i don't believe they're allowed to fire you per se for jury duty but they don't have to pay you I don't it that just it just makes me it makes me crazy. I see it all the time on Facebook, people bitching and complaining about <laughs> and you're like, I wanna be on You're a like, jury. give it to me because you're a jury groupie. The one time I got called for jury duty, I went in, we sat through the whole spiel, the judge came in, did a little chit chat with us, the sheriff came in, did a little chit chat with us, and then we got sent out in the hallway, which was supposed to be a five minute break. And we're out there for an hour and a half before we all get called back in and get told to go home because you decided to plead guilty at the last second. Oh. I'm like, damn it. <laughs> well, and that's another interesting thing. I think it's something like 92% of cases people plead out. It's an incredibly high number. But I will tell you, you know, as we're talking about this, there is a dark side to jury duty. And so aside from the things we're talking about here, I had a friend who actually, we had a murder here in Boise, Idaho a few years ago that was incredibly brutal. A man broke into a house and killed a mother and a father and their adult deaf son. Do you remember that case? When was this? This was, 
I want to say maybe four or five years ago. Why do I not know what you're talking oh, about? I we, might know what you're talking we about. We might have to just, do Idaho part two because this, probably. but it was brutal. Like he beat them to death with, is it with baseball bats? It was a bloody horrific scene. He too ended up pleading out, but before he did, there was the grand jury trial, you know, uh, that they have first. And a friend of mine sat on that grand jury and they had to look all of those photographs oh no 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 no! that does not bother me at all i don't i but you know there have actually been numerous cases of people who walk away from jury duty with legit ptsd yeah they have all sorts of very serious emotional repercussions from the horrific things they've had to be viewed well so like yeah well so like in for me i as much as I have been into this whole true crime thing for a long, a long time, it wasn't until a couple of years ago that I accidentally, I was listening to another podcast and they covered Jeffrey Dahmer, mm-hmm. who was probably one of the first cases that really intrigued me because well, I think his was actually one of the first cases in America of a serial killer that got the wide... Uh, well, publicity that it did as well. Because he was a cannibal. Ted Bundy? Jeffrey Dahmer. Oh, Jeffrey Dahmer. Sorry. Okay, sorry. I was def- Ted Bundy in it. No. Scratch that. I was thinking, because we've been watching Ted Bundy on Netflix, and yeah. yeah, it's crazy too. So Jeffrey Dahmer was one of the first cases that I had listened to that really intrigued me. And I very accidentally decided to Google Jeffrey Dahmer, and I hit images on accident, and all I see are crime scene photos, which... I don't know if you've ever seen crime scene photos from Jeffrey Dahmer. It's not uh-uh. pretty. You've uh-uh. got decapitated heads in refrigerators. You've got bodies that are just like, ugh, it is, it's nuts. But. Yeah, see, I couldn't look at it. I made the mistake one night of going down. I, I don't even know how I got there. <laughs> so, and I wasn't drinking. But I just was clicking around on the internet and I clicked something on true crime photos. And this was another very infamous case, the Black Dahlia murder. And those Ooh. were black and white. Ooh. I'm not kidding. Like, that came up. I almost threw up. There was That is probably one of the worst things I've ever seen. I also, at one point, went down a rabbit hole one night. I bounced from... The Black Dahlia mm-hmm. to O.J. Simpson. Oh, God. I've seen those, too. Oh, they, They're rough. Yes. To, I think I'm Ted Bundy. I might Maybe. have gone down a Ted Bundy rabbit hole. It was the Golden State Killer. Oh, wow. I went down a rabbit yeah, hole one did. night, and it was just Google image searches Ooh. of all of these. I can look at It's weird because I, if anybody knows me personally, they know. I'm such a pansy. I don't do horror movies anymore. I don't like weird noises at my house. I'm very <laughs> paranoid, which people tell me it's because of my love for true crime. But I can sit up by myself till 5 a.m. watching these true crime documentaries, looking at these crime scene photos, and be perfectly fine. See, for me, it's very situational. Sometimes I can, sometimes I can't. I have to say, it's really... I think it, it, it's strange, though, because... These horror movies, which are based on fiction, mm-hmm. I can't watch by myself. Really? See, horror movies don't bother me because I know they're fake. See, that it's weird because I know they're fake, so they shouldn't scare me as mm-hmm. much as they do. But I can watch these true crime things all the time, all day, every day, and be perfectly fine. Yeah. And what you said about paranoia, I think, is really interesting. And maybe, again, for the discussion group, and I think there's something that 
we should look a little deeper into. My theory is that those of us who are a little paranoid and have some anxiety issues and things like that are interested in true crime prior to that. I don't know why, but for me, it's it sometimes actually makes it better. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's because you you so often get the closure. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And and I don't like unsolved ones. Those really- I'm not a big cold case mm-hmm. fan either because I like to have the facts. Mm-hmm. And the thought that the person could still be out there freaks me out a little bit. Mm -hmm. But, yeah. And I always thought that, I don't know if you've ever felt like this, but being so into the true crime and knowing so much about so many cases and the things that you should probably do to kind of prepare yourself to anything that could happen, that you've kind of gotten into the mindset of, like, this won't happen to me because I'm so prepared. Mm-hmm. But then you get down to a point where it's like something could like is very well in the process of happening and all of your preparation just goes right out your head. Yeah. Like when, when I almost got kidnapped that one time and it was, had I been thinking clearly about it, license plate number, right? That would have been the first thing to do. Mm-hmm. Call the cops. Maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and in my mind, all I could think about was, don't walk next to his truck. Right. Get to this person's house. And that was all that went through my mind. And, and, I, and, and that's the thing. I mean, so like, so back to your vampire rapist. rapist case, you know, that 19-year-old girl who, you know, has lost 45% of her blood and is handcuffed ankles and wrists and naked and locked in a bathroom and has the wherewithal. Do you know what I mean? And then get out the window and then tell the guy, no, we got to go look at the house and... And Those like sorts she, of people amaze me. Yes. And I mean, she even went to the extent of like, I'm going to wrap myself in a towel mm-hmm. so that I'm not walking around naked. <laughs> right. Handcuffed. That would have been me, though. That would have mm-hmm. been the first thing that went through my mind. Yes. Please clothe me before you let anybody come into the house. So it's it's insane. But it's it's crazy what this stuff will do to you. Into your mind. Because <laughs> God, before... For any of you who don't know, I legitimately almost got kidnapped one time. She did. It was a scary story. Sometimes we'll have to share that. Yeah, we'll we'll share that one time. But it was truly the most terrifying moment of my entire life. And being so into true crime, you think that you know what you need to do when this stuff happens. But when you're actually in that situation, Mm -hmm. everything you thought you knew goes completely out of your mind. Adrenaline's a crazy drug. And it does, you know... it. Things happen to your brain that you don't realize are going to happen to your brain. Not to mention, like, my own anxiety and mm-hmm. <laughs> stuff like that. That Just with something like this happening, it just, like, heightened my anxiety. So I'm like, yeah, we will have to have... We will have to talk about yes. that one time. But it's... It's crazy. It's, yeah, it's crazy. So, anyway, um, next week is your New Mexico... Next Thursday. This I am, Thursday. <laughs> help me, please. You're so good at this. I am so good at this. So, <laughs> but next Thursday, or Thursday, you are doing your New Mexico case. Yes. Is it going to be a two-parter, maybe, um, possibly? It possibly might be a two-parter. It depends on how quickly we get through it and how much side conversation we have because we're really good at that as well it might be a two-parter if it is a two-parter we will put part one out on thursday part two out on friday okay so this week may possibly be a A three three episode 
week instead of just two. We won't make everyone wait. Yeah, no, I'm not a terrible person. (laughs) I like that. So, well, thank you very much for listening. Please like us on Facebook. Join our discussion group. We'd really like... We have an Instagram too. Yes, we would love to hear your thoughts on some of these cases and some of the political, social issues that we've been delving into lately. And again, thanks for listening. See you next time.